0: Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Always good. I love that. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to be with you here today from wherever you happen to be joining us via live stream, via Facebook. Welcome to Rexhail Alliance Church. I'm Reuben. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, honestly, it's my privilege to be able to share what God has laid on my heart this last couple of weeks uh, from the scriptures. Um, so we'll pray and uh, we'll begin. Jesus, Join in with Cheryl as uh, she she prayed. Um, Your love is here. And Lord Jesus, we find it so clearly and evidently in the scriptures how much you love us. So Father, as we meditate on your word right now, as we spend some time just seeing who you are and how when you encountered people, you changed lives. Father God, would you meet us here today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have recently been in a series called Encounters with Jesus, where we've been going through the biographies of Jesus, also known as the Gospels, and seeing the impact that Jesus had on men, on women, on children. And today we're going to be wrapping up the series And I know that they, you know, usually save the best for last, right? Um, But I wish, honestly, I did, was not going last. I wish I was going first so that I didn't have to follow all these other gifted speakers. But I believe God is good in the end, and uh, (laughs) he'll speak to us today anyways. If you are here and you're visiting us at Rex so glad that you've chosen to join us today. Um, And I know it might feel like you're coming at the end of a movie. Um, Don't feel like that. You can go online and check out the rest of the series. Um, on our Facebook page, Rex Alliance Church, or online at rexalliance.ca, and I promise you will be blessed. So, so far, we have witnessed the encounter of Jesus with many different people. You know, we witnessed the encounter of Jesus with Mary and Martha, with, you know, John the Baptist, with Zacchaeus, with the women at the well. And how, in their own unique ways, when they met the person of Jesus, they were changed forever. Like, their lives just started to transform. And today, I want to end our series with another person from Scripture who knew actually Jesus all along. Like throughout the three and a half years of like ministry work that Jesus had done, this guy knew him. But it wasn't until the end of Jesus' time on earth that he had a real encounter with him. And his name is Thomas. And so we're going to read the passage, and then after we read the whole passage, we'll kind of set the scene. Take a look behind the scenes, see what's actually going on. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to John chapter 20. With me, verse 24 is where we will start. If you do not have a Bible, do not worry. The verses will be coming up on the screen. If you do not have a Bible and you want a Bible, feel free to come talk to me. And I would love to bless you with one or show you an awesome Bible app that I love using. Let's read verse 24, John chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not there when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. So, so far, let's set the scene, all right? John, the beloved, the closest disciple to Jesus, as he's well known, is actually the author of this biography, written somewhere between 70 and 90 AD, theologians say. So about 40, 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, we're jumping right to the end as he's writing this, right to the end of the book. And so far, we've seen the life of Jesus, you know, his miracles, his teachings, as it's led up to what he's been prophesying, that he's going to be killed, but that he will raise himself to life three days later. And so Jesus is crucified, his body set in the tomb with guards protecting it. And three days later, Sunday morning, also well known as Easter morning, and his disciples are hiding out, scared for their lives. The one whom they thought would take the throne as king. The one whom they thought would never die. The one actually whom they had given the last three and a half years of their life to. They just witnessed his death on the cross. Can you imagine how they must be feeling? I mean, day one passes, nothing happens. Day two passes, nothing happens. And even though Jesus had been telling them, three days, I'm going to come come back. Scripture's so clear. They were scared. They were nervous. And they were not anticipating what was going to happen next. And so now it's day three. And my best guess at this point is that at day three, reality is probably starting to hit. That this is how things are going to be. Lived in fear. Because those who had killed Jesus were now after their lives. They wanted to extinguish anyone who followed Jesus and his ways. And so that Sunday morning, Mary who Jesus had cast evil spirits out of, not Jesus' mom. John and Peter, Mary, John, and Peter, visit the tomb, see that it's empty. The stone's been rolled away. And now his disciples back at home hear that, you know, the the tomb is empty. And then Mary says, oh, I saw Jesus, and I spoke to him too. And that evening, Jesus appeared to all the disciples who were there in that room. And he blessed them. And Scripture says that they were glad. But in the midst of all of this, there was one disciple that was missing, and that was Thomas. He wasn't there for any of this. He he missed out, and that's where I want to pick it up. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, it's only speculation as to why, you know, Thomas was not there when all the other disciples were there. I mean, you would imagine that, Thomas, you probably should be where all the other disciples were. I mean, like, you're probably being hunted down, right? But well, I believe it's safe to say that the reason why John includes this part of the story, Thomas's encounter with Jesus, is because Jesus says something so profound for you and I as believers today that John knew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this, that this had to be kept in the testimony of Jesus' life. Verse 25, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails. I lost my Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, I will never believe. Now, Thomas is most famously known as what? Doubting Thomas. Wow, let me be really quick on that. one. <laughs> He's known as Doubting Thomas, and it's for this very scene that he was known as Doubting Thomas, where he doubted that Jesus had come back life, even after his ten buddies had told him, and all the women who were there who witnessed had told him, he's like, no, I, I don't believe that. But the truth is that Thomas didn't just doubt whether Jesus had been resurrected back or not. The word in the Greek there would actually suggest that Thomas more accurately refused to believe, or just did not believe, that Jesus was back. You see, there's a difference in this. And I was reading an article on this passage recently, and the author of that points out that doubt... Just being unsure of something, having second thoughts about something, having questions about something. Versus Thomas was flat out, I do not believe. I refuse to believe that. And rightly so. I mean, if you ask me, we're talking about someone coming back from the dead. I mean, that does not happen, right? That's supposed to be impossible. So I understand Thomas' reaction here. I mean, which is why he's so adamant about, I want to see proof. I want to see proof. I want to see his wounds. I want to see his piercings. And this was unlike Thomas. Actually, this was like Thomas. This was not unlike him. Because if you go back a few chapters, John chapter 11, you'll actually find where Jesus hears that Lazarus is dead. And then when Jesus hears this, he says, guys, he's with his disciples, guys, I want to go back there. Believe something good is going to happen. God's going to be glorified through it. We're going to go back there. And I want you to hear what Thomas's reaction to that is. He says, Verse 16, John chapter 11. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. See, what happened is, during that time, maybe you don't know this about that time, but during that time what was happening was, the people, the rulers in that area where Lazarus had died, were out to kill Jesus. And that if he had to go, they would have captured him, they would have imprisoned him, they would have put him to death. And so you hear Thomas's, Let us go that we may die with him. Basically saying, okay, well, I guess Jesus wants to die because if we go back where Lazarus is, they're going to imprison us. The rulers there want us. But you know what? I guess we're Jesus' disciples, loyalty, that kind of thing. So, I mean, let's go die with him. Do you hear the unbelief in in Thomas' voice there? The unbelief that Jesus can save himself and save them. In that situation. You see, this is where some of us are today. In a place of unbelief. For Thomas, it was about the resurrection of Jesus. Whether Jesus was back or not. But if we're honest with ourselves, maybe there's an area. Maybe not the resurrection, but maybe there's another area of our life. Where somewhere along the lines. We used to trust Jesus, but maybe unknowingly, we just lost trust. I mean, maybe for you... It's unbelief that God's gonna provide that job that you've been hoping on him for. I mean, you've been applying, you've been applying, you've been hoping, you've been praying, you're like, Jesus, I'm trusting you for this, and then a month passes, and then six months pass, and then a year passes, and you're like, Jesus, I don't believe you anymore. Maybe for you, it's a spouse. We're like, Jesus, I'm getting myself ready. I got a job, Jesus. I'm trying to go to the gym, hashtag gym shark, Jesus. I, I'm doing everything that I can, Jesus. I've got a whole new wardrobe, Jesus. And then, month after month, year after year passes. And that trust somehow just turns into unbelief. To the point where your, your perspective of Jesus' character also starts to change. Maybe for you, it's, God, I, I don't know if I believe that you're going to provide for our family financially or for my situation financially. I mean, maybe for you, you're a, you're a super worrier about things. You know, you're just worry, you worry, worry about a lot of things. It's because you you know, maybe have anxiety or stress. And, and maybe that's because somewhere along the lines, you believe the lie about who Jesus was, about who you are. That Jesus would never meet you in your place of need. Maybe for some of you, it's unbelief that God's going to heal because you've been praying, and you've been hoping, and you've been praying, and you've been hoping to the point where now it's kind of like you don't even think about it anymore. You just deal with it. And if you're given the opportunity, you just take control. You take control of the situation. Forget God. I'm just going to do it, you know? Or maybe for you today, you just can't deal with the whole Jesus thing. You're like, Reuben, forget about all that. I, I just, I can't even believe in this guy named Jesus. I don't, how do you consider him the real deal? I mean, how do you believe in something you can't see? You see, wherever you happen to be, wherever your area of unbelief may be, this is exactly where Thomas was. Feeling lost, feeling hopeless, feeling the aftermath of a real tragedy. Probably disappointed in himself probably disappointed in the others maybe that's why he wasn't with his disciples where he was just left alone demanding physical proof and i'm gonna be so bold as to say this that i actually believe that this is where jesus meets us in some of the most intimate ways possible not necessarily that when we're at the peak of our unbelief no not at all but rather when we desire to believe in god even when there are hurdles. You see, notice that Thomas doesn't just say, oh, I don't care, you know, and I'm just going to forget about this and just walks away. No, no, no. He desires to see Jesus, which is why he insists on having visible proof and is unwilling to accept anything else. I mean, notice a week later, he's with with the other disciples. He's still hanging out with them. You know, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. John makes—he's sure, you know, very clear to make sure he points that out. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's kind of like the, the modern day, what's up, right? As if Jesus was doing something normal here. Verse 27, then he, said to Je- then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. You know, I find this so funny and amazing. Because Jesus is picking on Thomas here, showing off his deity a little bit, isn't he? Like knowing exactly what Thomas had asked for, even though he wasn't in the room. Oh, here, here, you want to see it? Here you go, you know? But this is the exact point. And if you've already zoned out at this part of the message, I'm just going to, for a second, ask you to kind of zone back in. um, Because this is so important, I don't want you to miss this. Thomas God exactly what he asked for. Yet you and I are left in a different place today. That's not how it happens today, right? Where you ask for something sometimes, and you pray for it, and you hope for it, and you trust God for it. And sometimes you see the miracles that God provides, which is amazing. You praise God. Hallelujah. But so often that's just not the case. I mean, you read Thomas's amazing declaration of belief in Jesus, and now even recognition of his, of his deity, my Lord and my God. I mean, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for you, Thomas. Awesome. Sweet. But what about me? I mean, what about us? How do we live with the unbelief that we have that doesn't get answered like Thomas has got answered? I mean, we can't just insist on visible proof, or so be it, because that never gets anyone anywhere. You see, this is exactly where my wife and I have been this past year. You know, this year was an exciting year for Dora and I. You know, we celebrated our first year of marriage, which is awesome. The birth of our baby, which is awesome. Thank you for posting up that picture. Isn't she adorable? Yeah, you can can smile. Yeah, Arabella is amazing. You know, we had tons of highs this year. We also had some lows. We found out we were pregnant in October. You know, and um, with the excitement of, I'm going to be a dad, you know, came the, I'm nervous and said, I'm going to be a dad, uh, you know. Come November 24th, I remember it so clearly, it was a Friday, 12.05 a.m., other than Dora feeling, you know, very nauseous. It was nothing out of the ordinary until then in our pregnancy. And I hear Dora scream my name. Oh, man, you know, I can't even, like, mimic it. It's like it just turns my stomach when I think of how she screamed my name. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a, Wasn't a scream of "I'm going to kill you because you left the toilet seat up." Wasn't that kind of a scream? It was more of a, it was more of a um, gut-wrenching, bone-chilling scream. Dora had been bleeding. She bled a lot, which in pregnancy is never a good thing. From having a miscarriage, which is emotionally detrimental, to bleeding in the uterus, which is you know heightens the risk for the mother's life, to the harsh risk and the reality of having a daughter born with harsh medical conditions. We spent the next 16 hours in the hospital and survived that scare. But the doctor gave us a a diagnosis that meant that we would be at a higher risk of miscarriage for the next 27 weeks. We had, after that, wave after wave after wave of unexpected struggles. I mean, she bled again later on, so we thought this was a miscarriage, but it wasn't. Uh, week 27 came, so we were about to cheer and hope and victories. Yes, we passed it. And then that week, Dora had kidney stones, and so we were in the hospital for another week. And that did not pass in the next two months. So she had like terrible lower back pain, and we were in the ho- we were just she was in bed most of the time. See, I, I share all of this with you because there's been nothing that has tested my faith more than the idea of losing my child and seeing my wife in uncontrollable pain that I can't do anything about. As much as we prayed and asked God, God, please take this away, please take this away, please take this away. For the most part, it was us just patiently waiting. And it was long, and it was hard. But you see, this is the reason why I believe that the encounter with Thomas is in this book. To share what Jesus has to say to my area of unbelief and maybe your area of unbelief. See, when everything in our visible reality is simply saying, give up, lose hope. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus, in what some have called the final beatitude, showers a a special blessing on those who have not seen Jesus and yet have believed in him. Almost to say, Thomas, you think you're favored because you've seen me and believe in me? Uh, That's not the case, Thomas. Actually, those who believe and yet have not seen me are the ones favored and blessed. See, as much as I know we all would like him to, Jesus doesn't always answer us in the ways we expect him to. And this is hard because for, for most of us, what it actually means is relinquishing any perceived control that we have. And giving that over to Jesus, which isn't easy. And as much as I would like to say all our issues, you know, cleared up and we experienced a miracle like Thomas did, for the most part our pregnancy was just enduring and waiting on Jesus and trusting not in what we could see, but in the heart of God and that He wants the best for us. And thankfully, after waiting for so long, our babies, right, they're beautifully born and loves to cry and loves long drives and music and all that jazz, right? I know this is a hard concept to accept. I know that. I mean, this is where probably where some of you actually just draw the line. You have questions about it, or you're like, No, no, Ruben, this is a barrier. I just I can't cross that. This is I can't understand how you believe in something you just don't see. You see, this is the caveat that Jesus, even in speaking to Thomas and to us at large, is calling us not to a shallow level of faith based on what we see and hence what we can control, but rather to a deeper level of trust in a person, and that's Jesus. See, while it's easy for us to demand proof, oh I'll only believe when I can see, that's not even always the truth. In fact, If you're entering the conversation with that mindset, most of the time it's like, I doubt any amount of proof will ever actually come into you. But, instead, Jesus, in all his divine wisdom, sets this up in such a way so that if our faith is in him, even when we do not see him, that that's when our faith will endure. And I think that's the blessing and favor that he's talking about. Faith that endures. Because you see, life's circumstances will constantly be changing and your eyes will constantly fool you. But the person of Jesus, he never changes. He's always the same. He'll always be faithful. See, when by the world's expectations we shouldn't believe at all, what if, regardless of the odds as Christians, what if regardless of the odds as Christians, regardless of our different areas of unbelief, what if we show up What if we release control? What if we choose to realign our lives, not to trust in ourselves, not to trust in our abilities, but to trust in Jesus's, knowing that he is the one who gives life. Even if our eyes don't see it, we choose to trust in him because we trust in a person. And so today, where... You may be struggling with unbelief in whatever the area may be. The question is, how do we live with it then today? How do we live with with it in a way that honors God, but at the same time gives us hope to actually survive till the next day? I believe that the first step is acknowledging your area of unbelief and being honest about it. And so I actually want to do that right now. I want to take a minute, a moment of silence. And if you're here, and as I've been speaking, you're like, as soon as you started speaking, Reuben knew exactly where my area of unbelief was, is. I want you to take a moment in, in, in this time, and I have to just confess that to Jesus. Jesus, this is my area of unbelief. If you're here, and you're like, Reuben, you know, you're speaking, but I don't really know where I have unbelief. That's okay. I want you to pray and ask God, God, would you shine a light in my life and show me What area of my life do you desire to work on me the most in? And if you're here today and you're like, "Uh, Ruben, this is all weird, I'm not used to this, that's okay. Feel free to pass on that, that's not a problem at all. So let's take a moment of silence, and then I'll bring it back to a close. One of the things that I think is so helpful is finding someone that you trust, someone trustworthy in your life, and share this area of unbelief with them. Not someone who wants to give you answers, because honestly, that's not what you need. But you need someone to help you do two things. One, pray for you and just be a presence. Someone who's willing to give you an ear, listen and if necessary, and you ask for it, maybe share what's on their hearts as well. Another thing that has really helped Dora and I specifically uh, throughout the last little bit of, of waiting patiently was praying without ceasing. Was being in a constant attitude of prayer, almost like a conversational prayer that I constantly was just in with Jesus. And I found that that union and communion with God in those times, as much as it might have not changed my circumstance, changed my perspective on seeing what is God doing here? I recently came across a quote by author Emily Freeman, where she says this, When you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. If you haven't already, I encourage you, learn the heart of God. Because what you'll actually learn is how merciful he is, how kind he is, how good he is, how loving he is, and how relentlessly in love he is with you and is pursuing you, trying to show himself to you so that you may believe. You know, I love a verse of a song that honestly is like the top song right now on my Spotify playlist. And it goes like this. It's, there's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down coming after me. This idea of the relentless love that Jesus has for you and I. My last point today, and we'll close with this. Know that the reason... God takes us through this life and doesn't just provide us with the escape, I believe, is because when our faith is tested, that's what makes it stronger. Able to endear, leading us to believe even deeper in Jesus. And that's where true life is found. And that's the real point of Jesus' whole ministry. Jesus didn't come to make alive people better. He He came to make dead people alive. And to give us life. As John closes, this is how we'll close as well, in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Jesus, you desire us to have life. And I pray specifically today for those who are in the congregation or maybe just visiting us today maybe be streaming online for the first time who are at a pivotal point in their life, who feel like they're on the edge they want to just give up. They feel like they've just waited too long and patience has outrun them. Lord God, my prayer is one that you would meet them in their place of darkest need. And that is your heart, that you will meet them. And so, Father, I pray that you will meet them. Embrace them with your presence, Jesus. And I pray that your peace and your comfort would overwhelm them, that they would know that you are God. You are the king of the world. We love you and we thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our staff, uh, usually at the end of every um, uh, summer, usually at the end of August, chooses a Sunday to uh, bless all the university and college-age students. You know, if you're going to a co-op, whether you're going to an apprenticeship, whether you're just working, saving money, you know, um, on the, on the, on the, just waiting to kind of like, you know, get into college later, or if you're like, Ruben, I'm just kind of at home and I'm not really doing anything and trying to figure out the next step. Um we didn't choose to take a Sunday just to bless you, to pray for you. And so that's what we're gonna do. And that's actually um how I'm going um to give our benediction today as well. So would you rise as I as I do that for, for all those? You know, seven years ago I sat in one of the very same seats as you sat. Um coming here for the first time, first year in college, not really sure of what I was doing, a little bit lost, kind of scared, you know, I wasn't earning any money, so I'm just like, oh, mom, dad, help me, you're right. If you had to tell me seven years ago that Reuben, one day, God's going to put you on the pulpit here, and he's going to shape you in such a way that he's going to give you something to share, for the life of me, I would have never believed it. (laughs) This is the blessing and the prayer for those of you who've been working hard or feeling like, man, I'm putting in all this energy, but I'm not sure what to do. Maybe you're feeling lost. Maybe you're like, man, I'm at home and I don't know what program to pick. I don't know what job to get. I feel a bit lost. My first blessing for you is a divine anticipation of what God has in store for you. He has amazing things in store for you. And I say that with full confidence Because he did it for me. And who am I? I'm just another dude, you know? And so one, have a divine anticipation of what Jesus wants for you. What he has in store for you. And two, with earnest preparation, I pray, in your heart. As you anticipate what Jesus is going to do through you. As you continue to figure out what the next steps are for your life. That's my blessing for you. Church, as you go this week, you continue to be the salt and the light of the earth, representing Jesus in every which way possible. Go in Jesus' name.